What we're going to go through today is a very common passage, John chapter 3, first 21 verses about Nicodemus. So a very common passage, we know the story. How I got to go through this is I've been going back over the previous couple of months looking at some of the common things and things that we know well in scripture, the things that we don't, that we think, oh yeah, I know about that. And I've just been going through and just considering how well I do know it and just studying through it. So we're going to have John chapter 3 as our base um, text. But before we get to that, I want to read two other passages to you that we know well. The first one is 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. And this is about the word of God. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, having been fully equipped in every good work. No song or any other book can claim that, can they? Hebrews 4. Is a, we'll find a verse that goes along with this one that rightly div, um, speaks of the word of God because it is the word of God that we're going to read. Hebrews 4.12, it says, verse 12, For the word of God is living and working effectively, sharper than every two-edged sword, piercing as far as the, as the division of both the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrows, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No other book can do that because it's not the inspired word of God. So as we open, as we go through something common, how about we not be so common in our approach? How, How about we seek God and we rely on him to guide us as we turn to his word, as we go through it, as we examine it? And may we be humbly challenged by the Holy Spirit and taught as we consider his word. So Heavenly Father, our almighty God, we want to acknowledge this is your word. We, we have a lot of great things in our lives. We sing some songs that have truths, so therefore they honour you. But Lord, we know nothing compares to you. And in, when it comes to anything written, nothing compares to your written revelation that is complete before us. So God, help us now. We need you in us to, to guide us, to enlighten us as we read your word, as we consider it. Lord, thank you that we have it. Thank you for giving it so that we can read it, so that we can be led of you and gain understanding and grow in our relationship with you. So Lord, as I teach on this, as I preach, Lord, help me to honour you in every word and thought. Amen. So we're going to read through John chapter 3, the first 21 verses. So John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. There's some great words, great truths there, aren't there? So we're going to go back. We're going to work through these 21 verses. But first, I just want us to remember what's, what's happened so far. What's been written down in the Gospels up to this day? What's been happening that they know about Jesus? What are the truths? What is the public information that's out there? So a way of just quickly recapping that, I'm just going to quickly go through and just refresh you on the first two chapters so you remember what's happened. Because we're going to look at Nicodemus. He's come to Jesus and he's asking questions and he's not understanding what's happening. So let's go back. Let's understand what maybe Nicodemus knew so far. What were the truths that he'd seen and heard? and the testimony that was before him. So when we start reading the Gospel of John, we, we first come across the reality of the presentation of Christ, that he is God the Son. He is God in human flesh on earth. He is the Word of God. And then as you continue through chapters 6 through to 13, there's the, um, the declaration of John, 
that he was not the Christ, but he came to be a testimony for the light. He came to be a testimony for the light. In other words, a testimony for Christ, as was prophesied in Isaiah. Verses 19 to 34, it's John continues to give a public testimony. He says, I'm not the Messiah. That's when the priests, the high priest and the Levites, they sent out a, a, a bit of a group of people to go and check out. Who, is, who are you, John? And he said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one preparing the way, just like Isaiah said. And then the next day, when John was still baptizing out by the Jordan, the, some of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they also came out. And they would have heard of the testimony that he'd given, that he was not the Christ, but he was a witness for the Christ. And then as some of the Pharisees and Sadducees were there with a crowd of people, John sees Jesus coming. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus went down and he was baptized and some of the Pharisees and Sadducees were there. And we don't know whether Nicodemus was there or not, but we know that he would have trusted their testimony. When those who were there then went back and talked to him, they would have testified and they would have been reliable testimony to him as fellow Pharisees. But we know that they witnessed when Jesus went down in humble obedience, he was baptized. They would have also seen the reality, and it's written in scripture, that the Holy Spirit coming down on him, as was prophesied by Isaiah. Then Jesus Sorry, God the Father spoke about Jesus when he was coming up out of the water and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. So these things have been a testimony before Nicodemus. Then as we get into chapter 2, we see, well, it's actually the end of start, chapter 1, and as we go into chapter 2, we see him starting in what we refer to as his ministry years and his first recorded um, Miracle where he turned the water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And then, as we read back, uh, continue to read on through the Gospels, we read back up to that point. It fills in that there were other um, miracles, signs, wonders that Jesus did before chapter 3. So, all this is there. So, then when we get to chapter 3 now, listen to the words that Nicodemus says. I want to read it again. So he's had all this testimony. He's had the testimony of the miracle signs and wonders. He's had the testimony of the Father, audibly speaking. He's had the testimony of the Holy Spirit being seen coming down on him. All things that were prophesied back in Isaiah 42 and 61. Now, a Pharisee, just to remind us again, refreshing it, they lived the Old Testament. They lived and breathed it. They taught it. They debated it. They discussed it. They endeavoured to live the Mosaic law to the letter plus what their forefathers had added on to them in believing that if they did that, they would be righteous enough in themselves to get to the kingdom of God, to be, be able to spend eternity with God. That's where the Pharisees were at. So... Let's just start at verse 1 in chapter 3 and let's read and take note now understanding what Nicodemus would have known either firsthand or through reliable testimony and then what he actually um, acknowledges about Jesus at the start. And then let's look at the journey of how Jesus 
directs him and reveals more and more just astonishing truths to him, to Nicodemus. So verse 1. Now there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus here, he acknowledges, you're a great teacher, mate. You're good. Look, you've obviously God's with you and in you or somehow because what you do, we can't deny it. You've done miracles. It's, it's undeniable. But it was a challenge to him. So think about what he's going through here. He acknowledges in part the obvious that can't be denied. And as we go into verse 3, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus say? Now there's no gap here because it says, and Jesus answered him and said. So Nicodemus has acknowledged the obvious. If someone's doing miracles, signs, wonders that are honouring to God, and he's speaking words that honour God, then he must be sent by God. But he only goes to the far as calling him a teacher, even though he had the testimony of God the Father, even though he had the testimony of God the Holy Spirit, even though he had the testimony of the Scripture, that the Old Testament, he had that, he knew that, he lived and breathed it. As a young man growing up, he had to learn by rote the first several books. And then as a Pharisee, like I said before, he taught it, he instructed in it, he preached it, he studied it, he debated it. So he knew the Old Testament very well. He knew the words of it. But whether or not he actually acknowledged and understood who the author was and the implication and application of that, we'll see that coming out here. So he said, acknowledge to Jesus, look, you've done signs and wonders and you, you've got to be sent by God. And Jesus replies back to him in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, or maybe in your version it says verily, verily. What does that mean? It's a phrase that's carried across from the Greek. And when you do that, when you translate something or compare two languages, it is rare you have a good comparison of words from this language to this language. A lot of the time some words are missing. So a new word is, or is introduced or a word is carried across and taught on. But here, what does it mean when, it's, when you read in your Bible? It says, truly, truly. Well, it means this is of a most certain and infallible truth. This is of a most certain and infallible truth, Nicodemus. You must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. Think about what Jesus has just said. Now, the Pharisees, they were a group of people, as, as we um, remember, that relied on doing, accomplishing the law in their life so that they could be at the right position before Almighty God. That's what they thought. But here, Jesus makes an exclusive statement, an exclusive truth statement, that unless you are born again, you will not. That's a huge paradigm shift for him, for Nicodemus, because all of his life, 
he has thought he could do and he'll be okay. But Jesus, in this one statement, in about 12 words, has just blown it all away. And it says, unless you are born again, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be born again, that phrase? That's another common Christian or religious phrase, isn't it? What does it mean to be born again? Well, the word born, that is just straightly carried across. It just does mean that, to be born. But again, that's an inferred word. What actually, the Greek word there is anothen. And anno is, um, sorry, I'll just go to my notes to make sure I say it correctly. Anno is from above, is above and then is from. So it's a wrong way in our grammar, in the way we think, but not with the Greek. So anothen means above from. So from above. So it's being born from above. Now, that still, we can sort of think what that might mean. But what it means is it's inferred, it's a saying, using that word in this grammatical structure, it means that it's a work from heaven. It's a work from God. And as you go through and you start to pick this up through the Gospels and even in some of the epistles, it actually is referring to the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in salvation at the moment the repentant sinner puts their faith in Jesus Christ and his complete sufficient work on the cross. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here, this is the most important and infallible truth, that unless you are born from above, in other words, unless as a repentant sinner you put your faith in me, there is no, and, the, and there is that regenerating work, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not. And that is such a challenging thing for Nicodemus. It's right against his culture, what he's been taught, and what he has taught all his life and how he's understood scripture. He thought he could do, but he can't. Jesus has made an exclusive statement here, unless you are. That means if you're not, you can't. So what's Nicodemus's reply to all this? He's just been hugely challenged. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? He's, at this point, he's not getting it. Because of the huge paradigm shift, and it's a, such a, a challenge to him <clears throat> excuse me, in theology, he, can't, he doesn't get it. But Jesus comes straight back to him, and what does he say? Verse 5, he says, Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, so that's, that inf- this is a certain and infallible truth that I'm going to say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So there's a few different words added to it. There's one of being born of water and born of the Spirit. And there's also, instead of see the kingdom of God, it talks about entering the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be born of the water and born of the Spirit? Well, to be born of the water, it's not just a new thing introduced here by Jesus. If you go back into the Old Testament, such as in Ezekiel 
um, 40, chapter 42, you will find is a common phrase and used. It's referring to the cleansing of our sinfulness, of our sinful state. It's what it's referring to when Jesus says you must be born of water. And it's actually used also to refer to the water in the epistles too. So, born of water is a type of a usage that refers to the cleansing, the purification from one's sinful state. So it's a, a part of that regenerating work of the Spirit when we put our faith in Christ. And then born of the Spirit refers more or further to that regenerating work of the Spirit in salvation. Being born of the Spirit, that phrase, though we don't commonly see it in our translation, in Ephesians, for example, you also see it in there and it refers to the sanctifying work. But we'll just stick to the salvation part here as, because that's what this passage is talking about. So, just to illustrate this, if you go to Titus, of just how the, the washing and the regenerating, how that's used, in Titus chapter 3, I want to read a few verses here to you. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7, it says, But when the kindness of God our Saviour and his love toward men appeared, not by works done in righteousness, which we ourselves have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So there it is there. We keep going. Which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So in those a few, pass, a few verses there that I just read, there are so many truths that correlate with what we've seen so far in John chapter 3. And that is so important that as we go through Scripture, we understand the truth of it through what is written in Scripture, not my preference, not because I've been brought up that way, not an experience or someone else's great thought. And this is what, where I would suggest Nicodemus was at. He'd been taught a certain way, lived a way, and now he's being challenged. He's being taught more truths than he needed to be born again. And it was through a regenerating work that was done without him. It was done by God. So let's continue on. Verse 6. <clears throat> that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So this amplifies and, he, and is, explains further what has been said about being born again. Nicodemus, you cannot do it. All that's of your flesh, you can't. But that it's the work of the Spirit in you that regenerates you and that um, redeems you. Verse 7, Don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. It's a new phrase, a new thing that for him. Don't be amazed at it though. Because the wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in us, we know it happens when we're saved and we see the evidence of it in other people's lives. We don't fully comprehend how the Spirit comes, how he does that work and imputes Christ's righteousness to us in that. But yet he does it. He does it. That is the truth of this. 
I'm redeemed through Christ. And then the activation or the work of the Holy Spirit in me, he regenerates me when I, in repentant faith, come before him, my Saviour, and acknowledge him for who he is. That is the amazement of this. And so, no wonder the verse before, Jesus says to Nicodemus, don't be amazed at this. You don't have to understand it all. It is the work of God is beyond us, but yet we understand the, the reality of it, that it is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that is just amazing, isn't it? So Nicodemus didn't, had to realise they didn't have to do a thing. All, all that trying to keep the law, trying to keep rituals, it wasn't helping him. But he's on a bit of a journey here. So let's continue on. So he's, Jesus has just said to him, don't be amazed. The Spirit does his work. We don't understand it all fully, but he does it. And in faith, we accept it. And we also get to live in the reality of it. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be so? How can these things be so? Now, Jesus comes back and points a bit at him. He says, Jesus said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? So the Pharisees, they were the teachers and there was the more notable ones. And as we read through, Nicodemus was someone who had a reasonable position amongst the Pharisees. But he did not grasp it. He did not know it. And that is a great challenge for him. And Jesus is calling him on that. How come you are the teacher of Israel and you don't know it? You don't know that you've got to be born again. There's got to be that regenerating work of the Spirit in you when you put your faith in Christ for you to be able to enter the kingdom of God, for you to be forgiven. Verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So that's a bit more of a challenge, isn't it, for Nicodemus? He thought he understood, but he wasn't getting it. Verse 13, Jesus starts to reveal more of now who he is, that he is the Christ. As Even though Nicodemus has seen the evidence, Jesus starts to point more to himself and say, I am the Messiah. So verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That verse by itself, it seems, well, where's, how's that fit in? But like we know, you keep reading scripture and the Holy Spirit in us as believers, if you're a believer, if you have been born again, he gives us understanding. So let's keep reading. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he's starting to give him illustrations here. This is an earthly illustration, but there's going to be spiritual ones come for him. So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So whoever works at it can be good enough and will be born again. No, no. The word is believe. So Jesus, going back to verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus is starting to reveal here 
the truth, the undeniable truth. He is the one and only saviour, the gospel coming down to earth to redeem mankind, to make salvation possible. He is the only one. There is no other. No one else is mentioned there in verse 13. And that's what he's illustra- um, showing here. That's what he's teaching. That only the Son of Man, because after he died on the cross and he went back to heaven, he sat at the Father's right hand, we read in such as um, Hebrews and Ephesians. He sat at the right hand because that's the position of acceptance and honour. That was the Father signifying to him when he had completed his task here on earth that he was accepted, he had done well, as the Father had already um, said. So let's keep reading. So in verse 15 we read, So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For, we could also put in here because, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So there's some key bits in here. First one is that that word for, or we could also put because in there, it's a building verse. God's, uh, Jesus is continuing to build on what he has said, to, continuing to challenge and explain to Nicodemus the truths of salvation. There is no other way. It is, for God so loved the world. So that tells us why God acted. Why God acted in making salvation possible. It was out of his love, out of who he is. For God so loved the world. So it wasn't just a select few, it was the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave his only son. The father sent his son down to die for my sin. And as we all know, and as many of us have said in conversation or or wherever, we wouldn't give our children for anybody else. No way. I wouldn't give up my two daughters for any of you. But yet, God, where he is at, is a whole new level. He's not at our level. We don't have to put ourselves in there and try and work out God or understand God. We have to accept God for who he is and what he has done, the reality of him. That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes, there's that believe again. Nicodemus, you don't have to do doesn't matter if you come to church, put your hand up, got prayed for, or if you know the, the Pentateuch off by heart. There's nothing you can do, Nicodemus. It's believe. So again, that word believe. So whoever believes in him, that's believing Jesus, shall not perish but have eternal life. That's inferring to the salvation and entering into and, not, and seeing and being in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him so this is another challenge for for Nicodemus and many of the Jews as we read through they perceived in their own preconceived ideas and then went to scripture that when the saviour came when the messiah came he was going to restore the kingdom he was going to kick everyone else out he was going to give those Romans a good slap about, get rid of them. And they was going to restore it. And they were thinking physical, physical, physical. So what they were looking at instead of the spiritual. So it's, Jesus is enlightening and challenging Nicodemus again here. 
that is not about, he didn't come about the physical. Yeah, there are those physical blessings. There is a common grace and there is a grace given to believers. But Jesus came to save. When he came last time, put his feet on this earth, he came to save. 1 Timothy 1.15, what does it say? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's his mission in a nutshell. His judgment's going to come next time when he puts his feet on the earth. We know that. We read that in scripture. But let's keep focused here on what he's saying to Nicodemus and why he came. He came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to redeem mankind. So, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. So whoever has their faith, repentant faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross is their full payment for their sin, they are not judged by God. There's no condemnable judge, judgment on you. Romans 8.1 So he who, who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Your fate is already sealed. And that's the reality of it is. You can sit there, I can sit there, I can stand here. Nicodemus could walk away and say, I'll blow you. God gives us the free will to choose in our life, whether we accept our Saviour, the Saviour that is given and, and taking what he has done upon us in faith, or we reject. But it is God's almighty, sovereign, holy God who will judge you and does judge you, whether you accept or reject Jesus Christ. You don't get to be there before God and challenge him in his judgment. No, your fate is already sealed if you have condemned. God sets the future of eternity for you if you reject him or you accept him in faith. That is done. That is done. You won't be able to challenge God. You won't get a second chance. It's only if you believe, Nicodemus, right here and now. It's too late when you die. So let's continue on. I'll start from start of, um, verse 18 again. He who believes in him, that's in Jesus, is not judged. But he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So again, there is that exclusive way, that one way, just like Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. Truth is exclusive because it is of God. When you're talking about a worldview, it is of God. And God is saying here, there is one way. Narrow is the way, he says in, in Matthew. There is no other way. In Matthew chapter 3, he talks about a narrow gate. Narrow. There is only way, but broad is the other way where everyone wanders off doing their own thing. Verse 19. This is the judgment. So this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. In other words, we were in sin. We thought that was great. We're enjoying the pleasures of sin and the light come and so we naturally fight against and as we saw a few weeks ago in Romans 3, it says there are none who seek God. God has to pursue us for salvation. He makes himself available and convicts us. The whole work of the Holy Spirit is he convicts us of our sin. So this, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. 
For everyone who loves evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So if you're in sin, unrepentant sin, the last thing you want to do is pick up your Bible and read it and study about God. You won't want to. I won't want to because God's going to do a number on us if he's not already convicting us. In other words, there are evidences of whether we have sin in our life, unrepented sin, or we are living after repenting of our sin. There is evidence of both. What is the evidence of those who were walking in the light? Well, let's keep reading. So verse 20, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. None of us like getting called a sinner. But he who practices truth comes to the light. He who practices truth comes to the light. So that's those who don't have undealt with sin in their life. They will be pursuing God. They come to the light. They revel in the light. They want to see the reality of the light in their life and grow in it. Let's keep reading. Why? So that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Not that you or I want to come to the light or Nicodemus wants to come so we go, oh, 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 look what I've done. No. So that God can get the glory. So that God can get the glory. That's why we come and we want to demonstrate that God has been working in me. He has saved me. I've been a repentant sinner before Almighty God. My faith is in Christ. And then I walk in the reality of that in life. And I pursue the truth. I pursue the light. So therefore, the evidence of someone who has no unrepented sin in their life is you will see them pursuing God, pursuing the ways of God. They'll be pursuing to, they'll make their whole life God. They won't pivot their life around God as if, oh yeah, I guess, yeah, I better get there by 10 or 10.30. No, God will be their life. Not just in the spiritual as in they're saved, but yet here's their whole focus, their whole purpose in life. That's all that they are about. So you will naturally want to go to church. You will naturally want to pick up your, your Bible. You will naturally, as you're being reading through it and the Spirit's revealing more, you will naturally want to praise God. You will naturally want to worship God out of the truths that are revealed to you, to me. That will be the fruit of it. We want to testify that what we have done, where we're at, is wrought about by God. So understand now, go back to Nicodemus. A recap. He is a man who has been brought up all his life a certain way. He has approached scripture because of the way he has been taught. Because of his experience, because of the pressure that's been put on him, because of the culture, all different things that affect him. But now he's had, having to deal with the reality of truth. He's been challenged by God himself in front of him. That's not the truth, Nicodemus. Unless you repent, unless there's that faith in Jesus Christ, unless you are born from above through the regenerating work of the Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, all the efforts you have done in life are not good enough. They are not good enough. And that would have been a huge shift, not just a paradigm sh um, shift, 
but just a huge challenge to him. But as we continue to read through the, the Gospel of John, we read a couple of interesting things. There's an account of when the Pharisees, they were discussing when they first went out to get Jesus and to bring him in. And the people return without Jesus and they say, why haven't you brought him in? And Nicodemus makes a supportive claim of Christ. You can't accuse him without any evidence. You've got to try him fairly. And then we read also later on in chapter 19, you read where Nicodemus was there with Joseph of Arimathea when they buried Jesus. Does this book and the Spirit on you in convicting you you if you're unrepentant or if you have repented, the Spirit in you, does this book affect you? Because as we read in those first two passages to start off with, this is the Word of God. We've got a copy here. If you have repented, if you are a believer, you have the Spirit in you. Does he convict you? Does he challenge you in life? When you read this book, are things coming alive to you? I ask you, are you truly saved? Are you born again? Have you had the regenerating work of the Spirit in you? Because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. There is no other way outside of Christ, Nicodemus. There is no other way. The evidence is there. If you are born again, this will be your evidence, God says. If you are not, this will be your evidence. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you for your word. I thank you too for yourself in us and that you work through us. God, there are some challenging things, not just for Nicodemus in, this, in these verses, but even for us, Lord, and how we live our life. If we are not saved, Lord, we, we need to turn to you. We are not good enough. We can't enter your kingdom any other way because we know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life because you have stated it, and so it is the way. Lord, as we consider your word, Lord, as you convict us, and it's either an amen or an ouch to the what you say, Lord, we thank you that you pursue us. Lord, thank you that you've given us the realisation that we need you. We need a great, forgiving, gracious, gracious and merciful God to redeem us. We need a great God who will sanctify us in our growing in him and through him. So God, in your holiness, in all of who you are, we bow in awe of you. We want to worship and thank you, God, and praise you for the salvation that you have, that you have given us, because we acknowledge, just like Nicodemus, we couldn't do it without you. None of us are good enough. So God, please accept our praise, our, our thoughts as we and words as we repent, as we turn to you, as we acknowledge you more and more, because you are our God, you are our Saviour. 